Welcome to Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because, unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronic repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Isabel Lopez from the Restart Project, and today I'm joined by Ubo Valari. Hello. <laughs> and by Lara Houston. Hello. In this show, we're talking about ethnography and community repair. We're joined by Lara Houston, who is a repair sociologist. Thank you for joining us today. Um, so, but first, we're discussing some news. <laughs> There's been a lot of things happening. So, um, how about we start about the new Grass announcement? So the Austrian city of Graz has announced some funding for commercial and community repair. Hugo, any thoughts on this? <laughs> well, it, it's great to hear that this kind of initiative is finally uh, being tested out in, in the wild and not just something that people talk about. We've heard uh, for a long time now about what happens in Sweden, where there's uh, uh, tax breaks for people repairing, and here... There's other options, um, and uh, there's also options to specifically support non-commercial research, uh, re repair projects such as uh, repair cafes and the likes, which is exciting. And uh, uh, we we see that a, a real discount in the price for uh, commercial repair can be a drive in increasing chances that people will repair because. As we all know, it's not just about finding the spare part that you might need, uh, but at times the labor costs involved with repair at a commercial level can put some people off um, for the wrong reason. So it's very welcome and we hope that this will become more mainstream and replicated and tested in other cities. And we hope that Grass will share more of their findings and how this might affect the local repair economy. Lara, do you have any comments? Yeah, I agree. And I really like that they've combined that with help for restart parties. So, you know, we're getting a kind of more holistic set of policy interventions here. It's not just intervening on one side of the repair economy. Um, of course, we all want to see really resilient and sustainable commercial repair ecosystems. But we also want to see the community repair events going from strength to strength. So I like that kind of dual approach. I think that's really promising. Yeah, that's great. Too. Yeah, I agree. So um, great. We'll be talking about community repair a lot today. But first, some other news. So Amazon manufacturer Foxconn uh, was caught employing too many temporary workers, violating some Chinese laws. Um, so there's been some investigations uh, comparing the rights of dispatch workers with the factory Um, with Amazon workers and um, yeah, uh, quite worrying and also related to recent news that we've heard in Italy, right, Ugo? Yes, uh, obviously this is interesting to restart from the perspective of where the gadgets that we use are uh, or we don't use in some cases are, are made. And so this is Foxconn and that's why maybe some of these Amazon gadgets are so cheap when people are trying to buy them. And however, why are other products that Amazon sells uh, so cheap? People might ask, and obviously there's been investigations on um, allegations and on 
tax issues, but in Italy this week uh, was um, found that Amazon has abused, uh, has used way too many temporary workers in its own distribution uh, factories, and and so they apparently will have to hire over 1,300 people, which previously were just temp workers, because there are limits to how many you can employ um, in Italy uh, as a, elsewhere as well. So it's a wake-up call, I guess, for if you're wondering why is something so cheap, there's always a set of reasons why that's cheap. Yeah, indeed. Where things come from and how they are made, right? And who is making them. Yeah, Um Also, maybe we can comment on the last Apple Watch. <laughs> we tend to talk about Apple a lot, but... <laughs> well, uh, this one is quite funny um, and shocking at the same time. It's not the latest one. In fact, it's the latest news uh, from a product that was pretty obscene to begin with, perhaps. Uh, the $17,000 gold uh, Apple Watch and surprise surprise for a watch that only went on sale in 2015 guess what support for the new version of uh, the uh, watch OS so the operating system for this watch has been discontinued so if you pay the 17,000 uh, sorry and uh, you have to maybe decide that next time you will not buy the first generation Apple product. Uh, it seems to happen quite often when they release the first one. It happened with the first iPad, but it's a little bit more problematic if you paid 17,000 for right. one. So you can still use the watch, but it won't have any security support. It won't have any, right? We don't know at this point about the security support, but we do know that the new features in, embedded in the new versions of the OS will not be available to early adopters, golden early adopters, yeah. should we say. What a deal. Yeah. <laughs> This is really interesting about what it tells us about what it means to consume luxury products. You know, you know, is repair really applicable to people who are spending $17,000 on their Apple Watch? And yet at other ends of the spectrum, luxury goods are often the most finely crafted, longest lasting pieces. So it's really interesting when we look at different types of luxury goods, what's happening in the marketplace. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, which brings us to, I guess, the the next topic, really. Apple Watches has been a product that we've tried as much as possible not to ever touch in uh, in uh, restart parties. And we've had to discourage people saying that, you know, you try to open it, uh, it's very likely you will break it. And, of course, if you smash the screen you might have to pay Apple almost the same amount as you will have to pay to buy a new one. But anyway, uh, many other things, however, are things that we can, if not 100% of the times fix, at least we can 100% of the times open and trying to find what went wrong at community repair events. So I guess a lot of excitement about the events has also meant that a lot of researchers over time have approached us uh, on how they could get involved uh, with it and join us and study and learn from participants. And uh, uh, 
there's been a real spike of interest in academic research on this topic. Lara, you've been studying it for quite a long time, not just in in a community sense, but more in general. Yeah, and now at Goldsmith University, and you're studying repair in like a lot of depth. So what's going on really in academia? Yes, I mean, I fell into the study of repair, actually, because I was interested in the uptick of mobile phones in sub-Saharan Africa. So it's a bit of a sideways story. Um, And really, at that time... Um, around in 2009, the number of mobile phone subscriptions was rising so quickly from like 100,000 subscriptions right up to many multiple millions over a decade. So um, the people in uh, Uganda, where I studied, but also other parts of East Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, they were getting access to telephony for the first time and that was through a mobile infrastructure so people were really going from um, communication means like travelling face to face, the occasional bit of landline phone um, to getting access to mobiles and that whole new level of kind of communication and infrastructure that that prompted was something that really interested me and at the time it was really a moment of great hype So it was really in terms of both the academic response and the popular press. It was about mobile phones are a connection to the modern and global. They're the silver bullet that's going to solve poverty. And I thought that's a really interesting set of stories that are being told about technology in that case. So I thought, you know, what's beyond the kind of hopes and hype here? You know, mobile telephones have delivered fantastic amounts of change in Africa but you know also who's there to fix the infrastructure when it breaks down what kinds of enterprises come about to take care of mobile phones Um, and are those big kind of internationally funded infrastructures like mobile mass or are they, as I suspected, much more ad hoc, small businesses, entrepreneurs working for themselves? So I decided in 2009 to go and do some ethnographies of repair practice um, in the capital city of Uganda in Kampala. And that was really a fantastic experience. Um, since then, repairs really become a very important topic I think for many of the same reasons because it's allowing us to tell different stories about technology like we're still very much locked into this narrative of innovation you know in the UK right now it's like what's AI going to do for us how is automation going to change the world but of course you know what's the kind of underbelly to those narratives well actually in your news it's the Foxconn story, you know, what's kind of enabling these big, bigger kind of moments of technological change. And I think, you know, what you see when you start taking the cover off the phone, it's not just about the kind of components that are there and being able to fix them, but it surfaces these concerns about labour immediately, you know, designed in California and made in China. So repair is really a way into these much bigger questions about technology. And I think that's why it's kind of grown really popular really quickly in academia. I think we're coming up to 
a time where we see um, more and more in extreme weather and climate change that maybe we can't go on consuming as we are. Like the $17,000 Apple Watch is not sustainable and, you know, repair allows us to get a different viewpoint on what those other questions are away from this very dominant narrative that it's all about innovation, that, that tech's going to save the world, which is still very present in our culture, I think. Well, very okay. interesting. Yeah, so uh, a few years ago, there was um, uh, some research going on at Restart, right? <laughs> some academic uh, research conducted by Kaya Anfeld. And I'd like to play some uh, of her own uh, recordings on why she started this research and what she got, why she got interested. And I'd like to hear, what do you think? When I first started telling people that I planned to do research on community repair of electronics, I was repeatedly met with disbelief and strange looks. Repair was seen as an outdated practice, and many were skeptical that such a thing as do-it-yourself repair of electronics could really exist. When it is broken, it's broken, no? Or responding, but isn't that quite dangerous? At the best, people around me considered it good for the environment, but a time-consuming practice no modern person would ever have the time or the effort to go through with. And in terms of commercial repair, the cost of buying a new device would surely, in most cases, outweigh the option of repair by far. So my interest in community repair started as a struggle. And as I entered my fieldwork, I realized quickly that I was not the only one experiencing resistance. One of the volunteers told me during my first restart party, we are fighting an uphill battle. The concept of repairing electronics in communities for free is a challenging concept to people within the electronics industry, governments, and even to skeptical citizens. Yeah, so uh, I, I find this <laughs> an excellent introduction. And I, I just wonder, like from your perspective, Lara, uh, does this resonate with some of the ongoing struggles you see in understanding repair? Definitely. And I've heard similar stories from friends who are doing work on obsolescence and their professors have commented you know, you can't look at old stuff, this will be the end of your career. So it's really interesting, the kind of way that repair and um, obsolescence and the kind of ends of things um, get valued within academia. Um, but I would say that there are lots of really interesting strands of work coming out in across different disciplines, Lot, you know, Kaya's work about community repair, but also other work doing ethnographies of repair cafes and restart parties. Lots of work in geography, for example, thinking about, OK, how do we maintain cities? Um, looking at things like the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Um, and then in sociology, you know, we have lots of work that looks at tech in general and kind of also speaks back to designers. OK, so it's kind of trying to do this dual work of being, you know, talking about the values of repair, the social and cultural kind of importance or significance of repair, but also speaking back to designers and, 
you know, thinking about how we can actually make change and then also some research in policy. Okay, if we're interested in sustainability, what does that mean in the context of repair? Um, because obviously there's lots of interesting kind of um, conflicts between durability and repairability and how we kind of um, take that forward in recommendations for um you know, how products should be manufactured, for example, in the EU or, you know, at the nation state level in America, for example. So we're really seeing um, lots of diverse research coming together to kind of explore these questions about repair. You know, how do we understand what repair practices are in different mm -hmm. places, what repair economies are in different places, and what, you know, for those of us researchers that are really committed to having more repair and easier repair, what can we do in, in this policy space? Welcome. We are listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're talking about community repair. And uh, I'm Isabel Lopez. I'm joined by Hugo Valari and Lara Houston. We've been discussing community repair in academia. Uh, but now, uh, Lara, I'd like to ask you, so how do you study repair? You mentioned ethnographic fieldwork that you've done, right? Yeah. So how can we approach this like further or more in-depth understanding of what repairing in community is? And what does it mean for those of us that yeah, might yeah. not be <laughs> ethnographers? Definitely, yet? to start. So ethnography is a kind of set of methods of social research that started in anthropology. It's a very kind of historical way of trying to understand different societies. Um, and it's really spread throughout social science disciplines, but also into design. So it's really about the core part is called participant observation. And that is exactly as it sounds. It's going to a participate in an activity and b observe it so it's all about action so it's nothing to do with issuing people questionnaires it's about being in the same place um co-present with people and doing the things that they're doing with them as a way to understand certain forms of action so it's interesting because when uh, Kaya joined us, uh, um, she started as a volunteer uh, with the Restart Project, obviously sharing that she was also working on her thesis. Mm -hmm. And she had, I would say, unprecedented access to all our thinking and the way we worked and the way events occur. Uh, and from my understanding is that this really can give a, a much deeper understanding of why certain things happen and not just how. Definitely. I think, you know, research is always about picking the right tool for the job um, and ethnography and, you know, that suite of methods that includes participant observation and some interviewing, being present together with people really works to create kind of observable, reportable um 
sort of accounts of how an event unfolds. You know, when people are working with tools with their hands, you know, that's not something that is describable in a questionnaire. It really takes our ability to um, record, you know, someone levered with a particular amount of pressure or two people gathered together and looked at a laptop or, you know, we're getting a really kind of rich description, a really kind of detailed sense of what people's bodies and hands are doing together at an event. And also the social side of restart parties, which I know is incredibly important. Um, you know, sharing skills is not about writing down directions and passing a note to each other. It's a social thing, you know. We're making eye contact with each other. We're sharing a moment. You know, I'm demonstrating something and passing you the screwdriver. You know, and ethnography is really a method that attempts to catch the kind of rich social fabric of an event or a set of actions where people are participating together. Yeah, I love how you're describing this. So it's kind of like you're... Uh, transmitting the atmosphere that it's there that m people might not even be aware they're taking part in. So uh, I'd like to uh, play a second audio that Kaya sent us on what happens at a restart party. While every restart party was different, with many new people, different devices and in different locations, the atmosphere was often the same. There was a sense of buzzing while people took apart, opened up and investigated different devices. The atmosphere could either be extremely concentrated or lightened up when people, with people laughing and joking. People would gather around certain repairs, reminding me almost of sitting around a campfire, watching as the story was unfold, following the most exciting times of the repair process. Like when the restarter and the attendee finally managed to open up a laptop after a prolonged struggle to find all its screws or when it came to actually turning on a device again to check if it would come back to life. Other times, people would just sit two by two on tables, absorbed in their own project, or perhaps standing or sitting bent over to get an even better view of the devices being scrutinized, discussed and reflected upon. I love this concept of the campfire. Uh, as a way to share it's exactly yeah. in line with what you were saying. So based on your experience with the repair, with repairing academia, like what, what are the real strengths uh, that ethnography brings in terms of better understanding the wide and nuanced field of repair? So I think um, ethnography is a really useful tool when we don't really know super much about a phenomena. So at the time where I went to visit the repair workshops in Kampala, you know, phones were still really new to Kampala and um, the kind of repair ecosystem was very much entrepreneurs just starting up their own business, learning little bits from the internet, sharing with each other. So that was really a kind of place and time where academics and researchers, policy makers and manufacturers didn't really know anything about those businesses or those ecosystems. So what ethnographic methods are able to do then is to actually talk about the practices 
So, okay, um, you can get at such a range of knowledges by just sitting in the repair workshop with technicians. You can understand what brought them to repair. How did they train for repair? You can see because different people come into the shop for help. Okay, how do apprentice type relationships form? So, you know, it was very common to have a very experienced researcher, uh, uh, very sorry, I should say repairer, um, a very experienced repairer, um, you know, who would stay in their workshop and lots of kind of junior repairers would come in and subcontract more kind of complex repairs. And so there would be these moments of learning and apprenticeship. So then you start to see, OK, what are the economics of repair? How do people negotiate to repair? What's the kind of pricing structure? Where do people get their spare parts? So by just remaining in the workshop, sitting at the workbench with technicians, you really start to see all this range of relationships unfold. Um, and that really kind of, in the case of my thesis, you know, takes the idea of what repairability is and changes that. We often think of repairability as something that's inherent in an object. So it's something that's designed into a phone, whether it's repairable or not. And of course, that's part of the story. But the other part of the story were these incredible set of ecosystems and relationships. Actually, if a phone's easy to take apart, that's great. But if there's no spare parts supply chain that's kind of feeding parts to repairs in Kampala, the phone's not actually repairable. So if technicians don't have access to um, third-party software tools to gain access to the embedded software systems on phones, then they weren't repairable. So suddenly you see this very hidden world of technological tools that are not manufacturer sanctioned they're kind of um, developed and sold to independent technicians in this kind of grey market space so you really begin to see repairability as an infrastructure all of these wider relationships are required to make mobile phones repairable in Kampala so ethnography really gets you to that um, very full and rich picture of relations. Kaya, in the findings of her thesis, and I'm quoting, says community repair may be perceived as outdated, but in the context of great environmental, social and economic change, it may also be a prefiguration for the future. Now, I'd like to ask you, what, what do you think the future for all of this research is because we're surrounded by people who study and research all these topics and often we feel that there is a lot of people already agreeing on some of the problems and the potential solutions and where do you see research potentially making a bigger contribution to changing this world and when it comes to repair and the way products are supported and made etc yes i think that's a great point we had a moment where we didn't really know too much about repair in the academy and we've had some fantastic ethnographies from um, mobile phone repair in Kampala to the conservation of the Mona Lisa. So it's really widespread and rich set of research. And for me now, I think, and a lot of my colleagues, we're sort of asking, okay, 
ethnography is one tool, what other research methods and tools do we need to kind of mobilise to speak in different ways to different other organisations, whether that's nation states, whether that's um, EU policy makers, um, you know, because each different method of social research generates different kinds of evidence with particular limitations. So ethnography will give us this rich description, but it won't ever tell us how long the average UK person uses their mobile before they throw it away. And actually we need those different forms of um, evidence to really bring together a picture of how, how healthy repair is today and where we might want to go in terms of policy. Right. Um, all right, so that's us for today. Thank you so much for all of your insights. Um, we'll so be sharing more um, links to your work and uh, like a list of resources that you've been putting together. So uh, for sure, check, check the website and you can follow us at Ad Restart Project on Facebook and Twitter. And thanks to Optonoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic and discard electronics. We're here live every week on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m. Until next week. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.